Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of The Mental Golf Show. On today's episode, it's going to be just me, and I want to read through like a an excerpt of a book that was given to me by Coach Mike McGraw of Baylor University. If you haven't listened to my conversation with Coach McGraw, you definitely should. My uh, Coach Mike McGraw is an awesome guy. He's He's super wise. He has decades of experience of coaching. He knows what he's talking about. Uh, and he was generous enough to send me his book that he wrote. Uh, it's titled Better Than I Found It. Um, and he, it's it's kind of what, you know, his his history of coaching and what he's learned. And, uh, and it's not just about his years at Baylor now. It's um, he kind of starts from the beginning, from his origin, uh, literally his origin. He he talks about his childhood on through, and I'm I'm not even that far through. I just I think I'm about four chapters through. But there's just this awesome uh, part at the end of chapter four, where um, so so Coach McGraw was a coach at uh, first the assistant coach at Oklahoma State, and eventually the head coach, I believe. And um, while he was assistant coach, kind of early on in his in his career there at Oklahoma State, Charles Howe III was a player on the team, and obviously Charles Howe III, great player, one of the one of the best college players, uh, kind of in you know almost ever. I mean, he this excerpt you'll hear has uh, one of the records that Charles Howe III set. Um, but obviously great player, great history, uh, still a great player, but I just want to read a little bit about, um, a struggle Charles Howe III had in one of his actually best tournaments and how it might be able to help you and maybe bring something to light that, uh, a lot of us do instinctively. Um, so yeah, I'll just, I'll just get right into it. In the final round, he, Charles Howe III, was cruising at three under par through 13 holes. As he and Coach Holder, which was the then head coach at Oklahoma State, left the 13th green, Charles suddenly stopped and was staring at a huge scoreboard left of the green. He didn't like what he saw as he and his Cowboy teammates trailed Georgia Tech by seven strokes. Coach grabbed him by the arm and said, Come on, Charles. Don't worry about that scoreboard. It can't help us. Charles walked on but something about his countenance suddenly changed. And a quick note, this Georgia Tech team was uh, included a, a player that some of us know by the name of Matt Kuchar. So uh, a great era of college golf. And really all of college golf has always been like, you, you hear how the old slogan of the web.com tour, now the Corn Ferry tour, uh, was the path to the PGA Tour, and it might still be for the Corn Ferry Tour, but college golf, NCAA, is probably more accurately the path to the PGA Tour before even you get to the Web Doc or the Corn Ferry Tour. Uh, so college golf, obviously, a huge part in almost every professional's career. But uh, so Charles Sal the Third on Oklahoma State. Uh, playing against Georgia Tech, Matt Kuchar was one of those players. 
So uh, the the uh, story goes on. On number 14, Charles hit a huge tee shot on the reachable par 5 and was left with only a 6-iron to the green. His adrenaline-aided approach found the back fringe, giving him a chance for eagle. He left his eagle putt 5 feet short and then missed his birdie putt. You could actually see the tension building in Charles, who had a whopping 8-stroke lead in the individual race. His focus had shifted from playing fearless golf to playing stressful golf. He was playing tight and trying to force birdies. He could barely breathe. From the 15th tee to the clubhouse, Charles struggled to find the rhythm and feel that had seemed so natural for three and a half days. So this is a direct response to looking at the leaderboard. And even though he had an eight-shot lead, he he didn't like it. I, you know, I, I think it was uh, probably in relation to how his team was doing. Uh, compared to the other teams, not just his own score. He was doing fine individually, but even looking at the leaderboard brought him that tension and that stress. So the story goes on. When Charles reached the 16th tee, he pulled his driver from the bag the same way he had done the previous three rounds, and as we had discussed during the practice round, Coach Holder watched him do this and then told him to put the driver back in his bag. He told him to lay up with a 5-iron, which really confused Charles. I'd made two eagles and a birdie in the first three rounds on that hole using a driver, Charles would later say. Coach Holder had been the one to encourage the driver each time. But once he saw my reaction to the scoreboard over on 13 green and how I was handling it, he knew laying up was a better choice. He was right, because I was playing scared at that point. I probably wouldn't have made a good swing with a driver. Holder's experience and intuition were again on display. Charles hit a 5-iron to lay up in a good sand wedge to 8 feet, but missed the birdie putt. Adding to his stress. So again, he's like just super attached to the result each time, each and every shot. He's, you know, where does the ball go? If it's bad, I'm stressed. If it's good, which he didn't hit any good shots in this little stretch, if it's good, I'm relieved. Just tied to the result completely. He then missed the green with a 9-iron on number 17, forcing an up-and-down par. His sand wedge on number 18 sailed over the green into heavy Bermuda rough. Charles pitched to 3 feet and subsequent par save, forced the first team playoff in NCAA history. Tulsa native and true freshman J.C. DeLeon made the clinching birdie for what would be the program's ninth golf title. Of course, there never should have been a playoff in the first place. Charles had no way of knowing it, but while he was doing all of this stressing about the score, his fellow Cowboys in front of him were making birdies, and lots of them. They were picking up the slack that he had carried for most of the tournament. The guy who was 23 under par on the first 67 holes failed to make a single birdie on the last five holes. In fact, he was struggling just to make a par on most of those final holes. It was obvious that focusing on that scoreboard jolted him out of the zone he had so comfortably resided in for the most of the tournament. Now listen to this. He quit playing freely and started to force things that simply can't be forced. Charles' collision with that scoreboard changed everything for him, and not for the better. These were great lessons for Charles, his teammates, and his coaches. First, score doesn't matter. And second, focusing on score can't help you achieve what you want to achieve. It wasn't until Charles took notice 
of the score that it became virtually impossible for him to perform at the same high level he had displayed all week. The experience with Charles at Auburn, which is where they were playing the tournament, confirmed what I already knew and helped me begin formulating what would become one of my mainstays as a coach. And that's Coach McGraw talking. Obsessing about score doesn't help anybody. Just ask the 2000 NCAA individual champion, Charles Howe III. And uh, then he says, this tournament was actually one of the best performances in NCAA history. Charles Howe III eclipsed Phil Mickelson's 72-hole NCAA scoring record by six strokes. His eight-shot victory over the field was an NCAA record. And Coach McGraw says he believes it will go down as one of the all-time great performances in NCAA history. So, I mean, clearly, this, I mean, he was playing amazing, and he was playing with freedom, and and you can tell from earlier on in Charles Howe's uh, college career that he's kind of a aggressive player that kind of does it on his own, and he, he kind of flies by the seat of his pants a little bit, you can tell, really technical player, all these things. And, you know, freedom is never an issue up until the point when he looks at this scoreboard and and realizes how much uh, the outcome is affected by every shot. And instead of staying present and saying, I'm just going to do what I can in this moment, he gets totally removed from it. And and begins playing for outcome and score and result. And I I think this is something we can all learn from. And, and it's kind of the same principle that I, I say a lot is that you, you have to remove yourself from the outcome and from the result and dive into the process. And if you've familiarize yourself with any kind of mental coaching, sports psychology. If you've picked up a Bob Rotella book and read it, you've probably heard these same terms over and over and over again about process and not worrying about result. And these things are, you know, overused. They're they're said way too many times. But what does it actually mean to be uh, more focused on the process than the result? Well, one of my players that I've, you know, just started working with, he he's he's a he's a complicated guy. He has a lot going on in his head. And 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 it's not just him, it's all of my players. Really when whenever I ask so how to go or they just reach out to me and tell me how a tournament went, they the first thing they said say is, well, you know, I shot an 83, so not good. Like, blah, 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 result, so not good. Blah, 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 result, so good. So it's like they would they don't say good or bad based on anything but what they shot, you know, their their actual outcome. And and what I'm more interested in is you know, I had a really great attitude all day, so it went really good. But also, I shot 83, so I need to work on my physical game. And that's a separate issue. And, you know, or I had a really great attitude, so it went really great. And it actually helped me overcome uh, a couple of bogeys that I made. 
And uh, when I get kind of recaps of, of like play by plays from players there, they say things like, yeah, I, you know, I made a bogey, so I got I got mad. But then I then I came back with a couple pars on a birdie. So I was, you know, then, you know, I started feeling better. And, you know, then I was on a little bit of a par run. And then I then I made another bogey and a double bogey. And I, you know, I really just felt awful at that point and, uh, and, you know, tried everything I could to get the strokes back. So it's like, you can hear the roller coaster in their, in their voice, or even over a text, you can see the roller coaster happening. And, and that roller coaster is only a result of being tied to outcome and being tied to score. And yes, score is important. Like that's the whole point people come to me is to improve their scores. But they get the cart before the horse. They they don't realize that by not focusing on score and result, you can get good results. By focusing more on the process, which is the horse that pulls the cart, by focusing more on that process of going through your routine, picking a specific target, trusting in your ability completely to hit the shot, and then accepting the result with zero judgment of yourself, that's the process of hitting a shot. And if you do all those, then over time, you will, your scores will show that you are a better player or are sticking to the process. So it's like, People are so like, I need something now to to help me shoot a 72 now instead of I'll, it's OK to shoot a few 83s and then a 78 and then an 85 and then a 74 and like bounce around while I'm working on my process, while I'm working on my game, while I'm working on my swing. That all of that is is the process. And I've said it before. Um, what my dad used to say was you set a goal. This is the improvement process. According to my father, you set a goal, you create a plan to reach that goal. You throw away the goal and you work the plan. And that's just textbook, uh, trusting the process. So you, uh, in your mind, imagine a really, really long straight road. Uh, that's, uh, in my mind, I, I imagine like, um, maybe one of those roads like out in the Midwest where it's like, there's nothing and it's completely flat. And if you look out in the distance, you, you like, let's say 500 miles away, you know, that's where your destination is. But if you stand there and look towards your destination, it seems like you will never reach it. And you know, this is going to take years to walk to that destination. And you're right. But the, the problem with looking at your destination always while you're walking is that you'll get discouraged and you will decide this is too far. I can't make it. But if you decide I'm not going to look at my end, end destination, I'm going to look down and I'm going to focus on each step and I'm going to focus on making each step the best it can be, then you you can't get discouraged because it's small steps. 
like small achievable stepping stones that uh, over time add up to reaching your goal. All of a sudden you get 500 miles down the road and you look up and, hey, I'm at my destination. I made it to the town I was trying to make it to. And all along you were just focused on making each step to the best of your ability. And you didn't care about the end goal. You you set the goal way down there, 500 miles away. You created a plan to reach that goal, to achieve that goal. And your plan was to follow these stepping stones. So then you look up at your goal and you you say, all right, I'm done with you. I'm, I've got this. I've got a plan. I don't need you as my goal anymore. My plan is going to get me to my goal and I'm going to trust it. So you throw away the goal and you look down at your feet and you work your plan. And each step is gets all of your focus, gets all of your attention and your just absolute drive to make it as good as possible. And that's that's what happens when you look at a scoreboard. It the scoreboard is the same is another version of seeing the end goal. And and that gets distracting. That that makes you lose your focus on where you're stepping. And what's most important is hitting the next shot to the best of your ability. The next shot is looking down at your feet and focusing on the next stepping stone. And I know I'm like mixing analogies and stuff, but uh, basically to its finest point, it is forgetting about the big goal, forgetting about the end result, forgetting about the outcome, and focusing on the one job you have right now. And during a round, that's hitting your next shot. And if you're if you're creating a plan to reach a certain level of golfer, like the player that I've just started working with that I referenced earlier, he has a goal of, you know, playing D1 college golf and um, and getting his world amateur golf ranking up. And, you know, if if those things happen, maybe it creates a situation where he can turn professional. And these are his goals. So. You know, when he goes into an event and he sees this tournament gives this much amateur ranking points, um, so I need to play this well to get this many points, which will make me rank here, you know, all these results-oriented things, he takes his mind and his attention off of what's, you know, what can even get you into a good score, and that's focusing on the next shot. He's trying to roll the cart while the horse is trying to push from behind. And it just doesn't work that way. The the horse needs to drive, needs to pull the cart. And there's another analogy that I'm mixing in. So um, maybe you get the general concept that uh, process creates the goal that you want to achieve. And if Charles Howe III had had not had stopped focusing on the end result and just focus on his job and what he had done for 67 holes prior then his team would have won that NCAA championship and and the examples of that are just numerous so i guess the moral of the story is to set a goal create a plan to reach that goal get rid of your goal, and work the plan. 
And that's what I try to live by. And that's what I try to teach the players I work with. And I know it can help you if you stick to that same mindset. So thanks for listening. If you want some more, uh, you can head to joshnicholsgolf.com. I have a lot of articles there. I have um, all of my podcast episodes are there. Some more information about myself and how I got into mental coaching. And uh, some of my past tournaments, that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, and some contact information for me. So feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions about this podcast or the mental game. Um, any of that kind of stuff. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. I, I don't I don't charge for just reaching out to me. I, I, I'd love to talk to you and, and just spend maybe 15 minutes on the phone with you and just kind of chatting about what mental coaching is like. Um, so yeah, thanks for listening and I will catch you guys in the next one. See ya.